You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. Welcome today to our Facebook Live, and I want to thank you for waiting for us tonight. We know that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be so strong tonight upon you as we get ready for Pentecost. Do you know, dear saints of God, that today is the 49th day of the seven weeks since, since Passover, and tomorrow is actual Shavuot. So that means today at sundown began the 49th day, and tomorrow night at sundown is the 50th day. It is Pentecost tomorrow. So can we praise the Lord that I believe that you are going to see the great outpouring of the Spirit, and so many of us in these 49 days of destiny have experienced tremendous miracles, the hand of heaven guiding us and providing for us all throughout these last few days and weeks. So beloved, let's begin tonight. We're gonna to begin with prayer and tonight we're going to be speaking to you about these, uh, the power of a personal Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. So Heavenly Father, tonight we take complete and absolute authority over all resistance. We break and we bind all witchcraft in every type of form of it. Lord, we break occultic witchcraft and we also break any imaginations or thoughts that are not pleasing to you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, today that the anointing would hit the homes of your people. And we pray, Lord God, that the anointing will be released into every home. We release the power of the Holy Spirit that it would not be your handmaiden that is speaking here tonight, but we come tonight to uh, that the Holy Spirit will be glorified that, Lord God, your anointing will be released into every home, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name, send the angels right now on assignment into the homes, Lord God, to lay their hands on everyone who's viewing tonight. And we pray that tonight there would be bondages broken. We pray barriers and blocks to come down. We pray, Father God, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is preparing us for tomorrow for Shavuot, that he would have his way and let him speak whatever he chooses during this session in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, beloved, we are going to open our Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the eighth verse, because I'm going to begin with the supernatural significance and importance of the anointing. And so let us open tonight to, to Ecclesiastes chapter nine, and we're going to look at verse eight. And here we're going to see in the scriptures, Ecclesiastes nine, verse eight, and the Bible says, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no ointment. Say this with me, Holy Spirit, I want my garments to always be white and I want my head to lack no anointing. That's what Ecclesiastes 9.8 says. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no ointment or anointing. All right. Now, this word for lack is a word in the Hebrew language, which is a word that means diminish. So what the scripture is actually telling us is let the anointing be elevated and not dissipated in your life. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, tonight I'm asking you that the anointing would be elevated and never dissipated in my life. I ask for only an increase of the anointing in my life. Now, beloved saints, as we continue in the context, I want you to understand that tonight we're going to be speaking to you about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit and the anointing. And one of the greatest ways that we understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit, beloved saints, is through the wheat harvest. Why because the divine providence ordained that the Holy Spirit would come to earth in the upper room 
on at the time of the wheat harvest. And I want you to see here in God's word that we have right now. Let's just go to Joel and we're going to see what Joel says about the wheat harvest and the coming of the spirit because Joel's prophecy prophesies exactly when the Holy Spirit is going to come and exactly what he's going to do. The Bible says here in Joel chapter 2, looking at, the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, looking at verse 23, the Bible says, Be glad, ye children, hallelujah, of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, but he's going to cause for you to come down the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now watch this, verse 24. The floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Say this with me, the supernatural sign of the coming of the Spirit. Say it with me. The supernatural sign of the coming of the Spirit is that the floors are full of wheat and the vats are going to overflow with wine and with oil. That's what the Bible says, beloved saints. And as we continue in the context, the Bible continues to tell us in verse 28, and it shall come to pass uh, afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions and your young men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit. Hallelujah. And they shall prophesy. So here we see, beloved saints, that the sign of the Spirit and the sign of the coming of the Spirit is associated with the floors being full of wheat. So this is a sign that during the time of the wheat harvest that the Holy Spirit would make his appearance here on earth and make his residence here on earth until the great catching up. And what is the great catching up? The great catching up is the rapture of the church. So that we know, beloved people, the Holy Spirit has taken his residence here on earth. And he began his residence here on earth on the day of Pentecost. Now, beloved saints, I want us for a moment because the wheat harvest is what the Bible uses as the sign and the symbol that we know the Spirit of God is coming and we need to see that the wheat harvest was the first fruits, the feast of first fruits. And we find this feast of first fruits for us, hidden for us, not hidden, but revealed for us in the book of Exodus, the 23rd chapter. And we're going to look at the 16th verse. And also we find it, of course, in Leviticus chapter 23. But tonight we're going to look at Exodus chapter 23, looking at verse 16. The Bible says, verse 14, three times a year shall you keep a feast unto me. Verse 15, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. And then verse 16 says, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering, which in at the end of the year when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. Now, beloved, we have spoken to you that the feast of harvest, notice what the Bible says. It says here, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, and the feast of harvest is the feast of the wheat harvest. This is the 50th day after the counting of the 49 days of destiny. Now, beloved, because we have seen that the wheat harvest is the sign when the Spirit of God shall come, we saw this in Joel chapter 2, verse 24. The floors shall be filled with wheat and the vats are going to overflow with wine and with oil. Then we moved up to verse 28 because the context of verse 28 is the wheat on the floors and the Bible says and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh I want you to also understand that John prophesied John the Baptist that the baptism in the spirit and what is going on in the threshing floor 
are very supernaturally synonymous experiences. That somehow the threshing floor shows us the work of the spirit and it's all taking place during the wheat harvest. Say it with me, during the wheat harvest. And I'm gonna show you tonight supernatural similitudes from the wheat harvest that are going to prophetically prefigure as type and shadow of what the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit does in our life. But first, let's go over to Luke's gospel. And let's see in the gospel according to Luke what the Bible teaches us about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because Luke is going to quote John the Baptist. And the Bible is showing us here in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, John truly, uh, John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes. All right, one mightier than I cometh. And the Bible says, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So the Bible says, John answered and said unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now watch these words in verse 17. This is what takes place during the wheat harvest. Can you say this with me? This is what takes place during the wheat harvest. And the Bible says here in verse 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Hallelujah. And will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn in fire unquenchable. So John the Baptist is telling us that there's another baptism coming. He is saying my baptism is just a sign of another baptism. And I, as the baptizer who baptized you in water, is just a foreshadowing of another baptizer who's going to come after me. And he's not going to baptize you in water. He is going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see, the baptism in water represents the baptism that is earthly on earth. And there is nothing, please understand, we are not diminishing by any means this glorious experience of being baptized in water. But John is being very clear and concise. He is saying, I baptize you in water. In other words, it is a sign. But another, mightier than I cometh, at whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. And he's going to baptize you with another baptism. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Whose fan is in his hand. This is a threshing floor um, similitude whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather his wheat into his garner, and the fire, the, the, the chaff, he will burn with the fire unquenchable. So now, beloved saints, that we have seen these wheat harvest symbols in the baptism in the Spirit and in the coming of the Spirit, let's get further evidence so we can understand why did the Holy Spirit come during the wheat harvest? And what is the spiritual significance of the baptism in the Spirit in the wheat harvest? All right, so the very first thing we're going to see is that whenever we see the wheat harvest in the scriptures, we are going to see a prophetic paralleling of the work, the ministries, the operations, the demonstrations, and the power of the Holy Ghost. So let's go to Judges chapter 6 verse 11 and the first supernatural secret of the baptism of the spirit revealed in the wheat harvest we are going to see in Judges chapter 6 verse 11 can you say this with me the first supernatural secret of the baptism of the Holy Spirit revealed in the wheat harvest we are going to see it through Judges chapter 6 verse 11 and that first supernatural secret that we are going to see is that the one elected hallelujah is not the one you expected say it with me 
the one God elected is not the one we expected. I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit is going to elect and select individuals that would normally never be selected by man. Oh, his choice for individuals to be used of God are really not the choice of man. Oftentimes, we think that it should be someone who's very well qualified for the job. Well, I want you to understand something. There is a theology of the Holy Spirit hidden in the book of Judges that many few of us have ever seen or found. This incredible theology of the Holy Spirit that's hidden in the book of Judges shows us what the Holy Spirit does in a life. Because every single one of the judges that were selected to be judges in Israel were unqualified. That means they had certain defects. But you know something? The Holy Spirit specifically chose them because of their defect. Because God, first of all, wants to show you that no defect disqualifies you from destiny. Can you say this with me? No defect can disqualify me from destiny. And as a matter of fact, being unqualified is something the Holy Spirit is looking for. As a matter of fact, we see in Othniel, he was the first judge. He was very young. And we would have normally disqualified him. But the Spirit of God selected him because the one selected is the one oftentimes that man would have constantly never chosen. Okay, we see this, that the one elected is the one man would have never expected. All right, we also see Ehud. Ehud was a judge. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 3, verse 15, but he was a man who was left-handed. And the left hand is the weak hand. And you know something? He was chosen to fight the wars for Israel. And you know what? He used a dagger. And someone who's going to use the dagger should have used the dagger with the right hand, but, but Ehud used a left hand. He was a man who was left-handed. And the Bible accentuates the fact that he was left-handed. Why? Because he was going to be chosen for something that he could not do in the natural. You see, you are going to be chosen to do something that you have no ability to do in the natural. The Holy Spirit is looking for someone that he can show himself strong through that you have no way in the natural to normally do it. All right. And he's doing this so that he might present his power through you so that you will understand that you are the vessel that man would have never expected. You are the one that God has elected to do this. All right. We also see this pattern uh, not only precipitated that we see in Othniel and in Ehud, but we also see it in Deborah. Deborah was a woman, the, a, a woman who in the world would ever think that a woman would be leading Israel in the longest, strongest fight against the enemies of God since the time they were in Egypt. All right, we know that Jabin, the captain of the host, of uh, Jabin was the king of the Canaanites and Sisera was the captain of the host and that he mightily oppressed Israel for 20 years with 900 chariots of iron. You know, 900 chariots of iron is a supernatural similitude of bondage because wherever we see iron, we see bondage. All right. Yokes of iron. Uh, why? Because iron is the strongest type of of, of metal in the scripture. So it represents long, strong bondage that cannot be broken. But I want you to understand something. Those 900 chariots of Israel oppressed Israel for 20 long years. But God said, I have to have a vessel that's weak. I have to have a vessel that no man would ever have expected so that I might be able to show myself strong through the deliverance that I'm going to give to Israel from the Canaanites. And we see this all throughout the book of Judges. We see it in Gideon. We see it in Yifta, Yifta or Jephthah, as we say in English. 
Yipta was a man who was socially stigmatized. He was despised by his brothers and run out of the land. But I want you to know, God used him. He was the judge. The one you never expected is the one God elected. Would you put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, I am the one that would, that would never be suspected to do this. I would be the one that is the most unqualified for this position. But I want to give you praise because, Lord, you are going to make me qualified through the anointing. Because the anointing qualifies me, Lord. The anointing and the power and the calling qualifies me for what you've called me to do. Now I release that anointing into your life right now. And we're going to see this prophetically prefigured in the wheat harvest. We're going to see Gideon, beloved saints. Gideon, who was the least, all right? He was really the least expected, but yet he's the one elected to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. Let's look at the word of God. The Bible tells us here in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass that the angel of the Lord sat under the oak tree, which is an Ophrah, that pertained to Joash, the Abbey Israelite. And his son was Gideon, and he threshed wheat by the winepress. Say it with me. He threshed wheat by the winepress. It is very spiritually significant that Samuel, who is the author of the book of Judges, brings out to our attention that it's during the wheat harvest because he's threshing wheat. All right? And that the threshing of the wheat is that's exactly what he was doing. He's threshing wheat, the time of the wheat harvest, and it is during the time of Pentecost. All right? Now, beloved saints, notice what's going to happen. The Bible says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why have all these things befallen us? Where are his miracles which he promised our fathers and told us? All right. And verse 14 said, um, at the last line of verse 13 says, And the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. But verse 14 says, and the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? For behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now I want you to understand something. His family was the poorest family, and he was the least one in his entire family. Yet he is a type and a shadow, showing us exactly what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. You see your calling, calling brethren, how not many wise, not many noble are called. Hallelujah. Not many mighty. Yea, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. So you and I need to understand he's looking for a vessel, a vessel that's yielded, a vessel that says, Lord, you're giving me something very impossible to do. And I want you to know that your calling, if it's a true calling, is going to be something that in the natural you would never be able to do. But he's providing the anointing to give you power to do it. Say this with me in the natural. I could never do what my calling has called me to do but i want to thank you lord for the anointing because it is it is the anointing that is going to make me be able to do the impossible this is what the bible says you shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem judea samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth now beloved saints 
I want you to see what this says. The Bible says you shall receive power. This word power is the word dunamis. And the word dunamis is a word in Greek which means to be able. You see the Holy Spirit when he comes upon us gives us the strength. He gives us the wisdom. He equips us with the supernatural gifts. He equips us with the supernatural revelation gifts, the sensitivity gifts. He equips us with the power gifts. He equips us with the might and the power. That word dunamis means to be able. Can you say this with me? The Holy Spirit, when he comes upon me, and when I'm baptized in the Spirit, I have now become able to fulfill my calling. I have now become able to do what God has called me to do. Because in my natural abilities, I have no ability, no way to do this. But the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Spirit makes us able. Can you give God the praise and give God the glory? Amen. And the second supernatural secret of the baptism in the Holy Spirit revealed in the wheat harvest is going to be seen in the threshing floor of Ornan. I want you, beloved saints, because remember, remember, beloved, that we are using the wheat harvest as a supernatural similitude of what happens when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit deigned to make his visitation and his presence and his residence here on earth during the time of the wheat harvest. Now, beloved saints, go with me to First Chronicles. And we are going to look at First Chronicles. And we're going to look at First Chronicles chapter 21. When you have it, say amen. And we are going to see that 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verse 20 tells us that when David arrived at the threshing floor of Ornan, that Ornan was threshing wheat just like Gideon was threshing wheat. And Gideon prophetically parallels for us as a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit's baptism when he baptizes us that it is the least expected that is the one elected to do God's work, that no flesh should glory in his presence, and that also the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do the impossible. Because when we're baptized in the Spirit, we receive the grace to fulfill the call of God on our life. And that calling is something we could never do in the natural. We would never in a million years be able to do because he's called you to do exploits. He's called you to do the impossible. Every one of your callings, beloved saints, are the impossible. But he's given you provision to do the impossible. It's your destiny to do the impossible. And the Holy Spirit anoints you to do the impossible. That's what the baptism in the Spirit is, to do the impossible. And we just shared with you a moment ago, you shall receive power. That means to have the ability to do. That means you shall receive the ability. Hallelujah. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So now let's see this second supernatural secret of the baptism in the Spirit hidden in the, in the wheat harvest. And we're going to see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. In the threshing floor of Ornan, and that Ornan was threshing wheat. The Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, and David, that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up according to the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him and hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. Now we need to see how the second supernatural sign of the baptism in the Spirit revealed in the wheat harvest is revealed in the purifying process of threshing wheat. Can you say this with me? The second supernatural secret, repeat it. The second supernatural secret 
of the baptism in the Holy Spirit revealed in the wheat harvest is the purifying process of the threshing floor. Can you say this with me? The purifying process of the threshing floor. I want to bring back to your attention what we learned earlier from Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. Uh, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, going down to verse 17. And verse 17 says, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Hallelujah. And he will gather his wheat into his garner. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff. So the Bible says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And his wheat he will gather into his garner, or goren in Hebrew, which is the threshing floor. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff, but the chaff is going to burn in fire unquenchable. Now, what is that process? That's likened unto the baptism of the Spirit revealed in the threshing floor. Well, first of all, dear child of God, we've got to know what a threshing floor is. Okay, way back in ancient Israel, in ancient biblical times, there was what we call threshing floors. Threshing floors were usually built on hills. All right? Why? Because the wind was going to be a very key component in the threshing process. Can you say this with me? The wind, which is the Ruach, which is the Spirit of God, is going to be a very key component in the threshing process. All right? And we see that whenever <clears throat> a, a great landowner would gather up his harvest, he would bring it, have his laborers bring it to the garden, which is the threshing floor. And the threshing floor had to be on a hill, but on a flat piece of land. All right? Because all the wheat would be spread out like a blanket on the land. All right? Inside the threshing floor, on the ground. All right? So they would put a, a mat down first. A mat because... It couldn't be in the dirt because it's going to be crushed. So it had to be on a strong mat, and the mat would color the, cover the whole floor of the threshing floor. Then all the wheat would be spread out on the floor. And then a threshing instrument, which was a huge block of wood, sometimes four feet very wide, or sometimes even six feet, depending on the threshing instrument size and depending on the threshing floor. This uh, tremendous block of wood would have underneath it like little teeth that were made out of metal, different types of metals that were attached to the wood. And the animal that would pull it, okay, because it, what would happen is this block of wood would be tied to a four-footed hooked animal, whether it was an oxen or whether it was a horse or whether it was whatever kind of animal has hooks, all right? And the hooks, the hooked animal would go into the threshing floor with this long piece of wood and it would begin the threshing process. And the wood, the piece of block, that had that looked like teeth underneath it would serve as the animal pulled it it would separate the stalk from the little corn uh, little kernel on the top so you see this long stalk of wheat very thin looks like a long piece of grass but it's like hardened piece of grass it's the stalk of the wheat it had to be cut all right so the threshing instrument would crush Actually, it would sever the stalk from the pure corn at the top. Then, all of the little kernels of corn still had the husk in it. Little tiny, little tiny um, husks 
that were inside. Inside was the wheat. And it would be covered with what was called the chaff. All right? So now the separation takes place of that stalk. That's not good. You don't need it. All right? And then what's left now is this little piece of kernel uh, that inside the husk is a little tiny piece of wheat, a little, a little grain of wheat. All right? So now the animal's hooks would go over the wheat, the kernels of wheat, and crush them so that the, the casing over the grain of wheat would be softened and it would be crushed and it would be ready for separation because there's something that happens in the crushing. The crushing produces separation and there's something about the separation and the consecration process because we see the purifying process of the threshing floor. And then we see that after all the grains of wheat have been crushed and the little kernel husks that's called the chaff, is now broken around the seed. Then they would put it into what was a, called a, a little fan, and they would look like a basket, and they would go outside of the threshing floor and throw it up to the wind, and the wind would do the process of separating the wheat from the chaff. Now, beloved saints, what is going on here? What in the world does this have to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It has everything to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit because the purifying process of the threshing floor shows us the war between the flesh and the spirit and that the Holy Spirit has to cut away all of that which is not going to serve any profit for our ministries. He's got to cut away the stalk. The stalk looks like it's a very important part of the wheat. But in reality, the stalk is an unnecessary part of the wheat. It seems to be the largest part. It seems to be the most visible part. But yet, it's a throwaway piece of nothing. All right? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. When we're baptized in the Spirit, He begins to crucify our flesh. He begins to take away selfishness. He begins to take away the carnal thoughts in our minds and that's the crushing part of the threshing floor because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This is why the carnal mind is at enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So the Bible says, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't do, want to do, I find myself doing. Why? Because this is the war between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul says that this is the carnal mind, uh, that the carnal mind that is at enmity against God. This is why the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, Walk in the Spirit, therefore, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the precious Holy Spirit is purifying our thoughts, and He's purifying our carnal nature, and He's purifying the flesh, and He's cutting it away, just the same way the threshing instrument is cutting it away. He's cutting away pride. He's cutting away ambition. He's cutting away a spirit of judging. He's quite cutting away criticizing other people. He's cutting away self-righteousness. He's cutting away all of those behaviors that are not Christ-like so that we might be used of God. Can you say amen? So say this with me. Holy Spirit, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask you that you, Holy Spirit, during this season of Pentecost, would come in your fire. And I ask you, Lord, to purify me. Lord, bring me through the purifying process so I can be used of God and led by the Spirit. I don't want to be led by the flesh. I can't afford to be led by the flesh. Holy Spirit, I don't want to walk around this mountain another 40 years. Holy Spirit, I don't want to go around this mountain three and four times. I want to be used of God and I want to walk into the direction of my destiny. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to purify my carnal mind. 
O Holy Spirit, for the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness to him. The Bible says, the natural man, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, uh, because they're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. The natural man can't even know the things of the Spirit of God. Because why? They are spiritually discerned. So this is why the threshing floor is so critical to our spiritual growth in the anointing. And now, beloved people, let's go to Judges chapter 15. And we are going to see the third and final supernatural secret of a baptism of the Holy Spirit hidden in the wheat harvest. Let us look at Judges chapter 15. And we are going to see Samson as a type and as a shadow of the work of the baptism in the Holy Spirit in a believer. Now let's look at Judges 15. Notice these things are taking place during the wheat harvest. Say it with me. Wheat harvest. Notice every one of these prophetic parallels that I've shown to you are taking place during the wheat harvest. Gideon was threshing wheat at the wheat harvest. All right? That is what the Bible teaches us in Judges 6, 11. He was threshing wheat, and that only happened at the wheat harvest. And we saw that Ornan was threshing wheat in his threshing floor, and that only happens in the wheat harvest. Now we're going to see a supernatural sim uh, similarity of Samson and what the Holy Spirit will do for the believer when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the scripture. The Bible shows us here in Judges chapter 15, looking at verse 1, the Bible says, and it came to pass within a while after in the time of the wheat harvest. Can you say this with me? After in the time of the wheat harvest. Say it again. After, in the time of the wheat harvest. Now, we're going to go over to Judges 16, verse 4. And we are going to look at this text. I'm going to isolate Judges chapter 16, verse 4. Because in verse 4, I'm going to show you two important prophetic parallels of what happens when we're baptized in the spirit prophetically paralleled in the life of Samson. Now, beloved saints, I want you to look at this. And we're also going to see in the first one, we're going to see the prophetic parallel of Joel's prophecy. And we're going to understand how the spirit of God came up on Samson. We see this in Judges 14, 6 and in Judges 15, verse 15. But we're also going to see that Delilah is a type and a shadow of a spirit in the end times that is going to try to steal from you the secret of your strength. And we learn tonight that the secret of your strength is that particular anointing that God has given to you. And we're going to learn from the book of Judges as we see Samson that we should never and under no conditions surrender the secret of your strength to the enemy. Because Delilah is the type and the shadow of an end time seducing spirit that wants to, that wants to take the secret of your strength from your life. The secret of your strength is your prayer life or the secret of your strength is your consecration to God or the secret of your strength is your ministry or the secret of your strength is how you serve God, your sacrificial service or something that you have between you and the Lord. It could be your daily devotions. It could be your special love walk that God's called you to walk in. It could be a special life of prayer that God's called you to, or a special time that you vowed before God that you're going to spend with the Lord every day. I do not know what the secret of your strength 
in. But all I know is that when you surrender the secret of your strength to the enemy, you're sunk. And so we need to see, as we look at Samson, a type and a shadow of an end time church. So let's look at this so we can understand from a scriptural standpoint what we are talking about. The Bible says, and it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now, first of all, Delilah is a word that the prefix of it is the Hebrew word dal, which means to weaken. All right. We do not know if Sa Samuel, don't get Samson mixed up with Samuel, but if Samuel the prophet, who is the author of the book of Judges, changed Delilah's name to Delilah to prophetically show us prophetically what this spirit does. This word Delilah, taken from the Hebrew root dal, which means to weaken. And it is very common in Samuel's style to change names. He does it all the time. We don't ever know. We still will never know what Malon and Kilion, what their real names were found in the book of Ruth. Sam, Samuel is the author of the book of Ruth. And we know that those were not possibly their real names because no mother is going to name her child Malon. That means sickness. And no mother is going to name her child Kilion because Kilion means extinction. So we know Samuel changed those names to communicate a prophetic condition in the two Malon and Kilion. We see the same thing in Delilah. We don't know what her real name was. Perhaps her name was Delilah. But it is very likely that according to the way Samuel always changes the names, he changed, we don't know if Orpah's name was really Orpah or not. Why? Because it's taken from the Hebrew root, Oreth, which means back of the neck. And that's exactly what she did. She turned around on Naomi, and all you see is the back of her neck. All right? So often the prophet Samuel will use names to identify a spiritual condition. And here we see at the time now, the wheat harvest represents the baptism in the spirit. And the Bible says, and it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. This word afterward is a word in the Hebrew language, which actually is taken from the word akar, which means to follow. All right. Uh, it is a very important word that we need to see. First of all, where have we seen this word afterward before? And where is it associated with the wheat harvest? Well, we see during the wheat harvest that in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, the Bible says it shall come to pass afterward. So we're seeing the explicit expression of afterward used here in Judges chapter 16, verse 4. And we are connecting it to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, where the Spirit of God is poured out because it says, I uh, in the last days, saith the Lord, or it shall come to pass afterward, saith the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All right. So here we see understanding the explicit expression of afterward that Samson is a type and a shadow of those who have been baptized in the spirit. He is prefiguring the work of the Holy Spirit when someone is endued with power from on high and becomes baptized in the spirit. Notice Acts chapter one, verse eight. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Can you say this with me? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
So I want you to understand, dear people of God, the Spirit of God coming upon you is the actual action of the baptism of the Spirit. Jesus said, wait till you be endued in Luke chapter 24. Wait till you be endued with power from on high. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Hallelujah. After uh, the Bible says, and it shall come to pass. Um, afterward, that the Bible also says, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So, where does the Spirit of God come upon Samson? Well, first of all, beloved saints, we need to understand that Samson had a very unusual call of God. And we need to see that Samson was a sign to his generation. All right. During the time of Samson, if we look at the scriptures, we will understand that Israel refused to go to war with the Philistines. They allowed the Philistines to rule over them. So God raised up a judge, a deliverer that would begin to deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines because they'd been in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is a very long time to be under Philistine captivity. So that the deliverer now is going to have to be one man. And this is why the angel came to the mother of Samson and told the mother of Samson that she who was barren was going to bear a child and that he was not going to drink any wine or strong drink, that he was going to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. All right. The Nazarite vow was a consecration vow of separation unto God, which normally lasted 30 days. All right. And during the 30 day period, Men that took the vow, both men and women took the Nazarite vow, but the men that took the vow would never cut their hair during the 30-day period. And part of the ceremony of ending this wonderful time with God for 30 days, this consecration, which was a vow of separation unto God for 30 days, they would take a scissors or knife or however it was, and they would cut the hair because cutting of the hair was a sign the consecration ended. Well, Samson was called to be a lifelong Nazarite, not a 30-day one. The angel told his mother he's going to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb until the day of his death. So he was called to be a Nazarite his whole entire life because that Nazarite consecration is what gave him his strength. It was the secret of his strength. Now, I want you to understand that every time the Spirit of God came upon him, the Bible says, and if you look at Judges chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Notice it's a type and a shadow of the Spirit of God coming upon us. All right? And then we see again in Judges chapter 15, verse, uh, verse 14. The Bible says, And when they came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against them. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were on his hands became as flax, burnt with fire. And his bands were loosed from his hands. And Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and slew 1,000 Philistines at one time. Now, beloved people, this coming of the Spirit on Samson is a type and a shadow of how the Holy Ghost will give you strength to do the impossible when you're baptized in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming upon you to give you strength to give you strength in your body, to give you strength to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. Somebody said, I don't know how I can endure this persecution. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit's been given to you to give you strength to stand. Others of you can say, 
I don't know how, how I can possibly uh, continue because my body is so weak. Oh, yes, you can. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, gives you the strength to do the impossible when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. You see, he will give you power. He will give you strength. He will give you power stronger than the demonic spirits that are trying to fight you. This is why it's so strong, powerful and so essential that you're baptized in the spirit. Because you see, beloved people, without the Holy Ghost, we're no match to the enemy. Those spirits of darkness will come and they will deceive you and they will pull you and they will discourage you. But once you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you receive the strength to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy and the strength to pull down strongholds and the strength to walk with God and to do the will of God. All right? So this is what the first supernatural, if you will, significance of the word afterward means. It is a type and a shadow taken from the words here in Judges 16 verse 4, and it is an explicit expression that is used in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward. All right. Speaking of the outpouring of the spirit. All right. But again, I want you to also see that afterward has another meaning. That the word afterward, which means to follow after, can also mean way down the line, such as in the future. For example, when Jacob was on his deathbed in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, he said, come and gather yourselves unto, unto Jacob, unto Israel, your father. Already he's calling all the tribes. And he said, and I shall show you what shall come to pass in the latter days. All right, by that, this is a Hebrew word called the akarit, which is actually the root of after what we see here in this word akar or afterward. All right, and the akarit literally means, uh, it may not be end times, but it means way down the line, something in the future. In this case, we can use Samson as a prophetic prototype of the Christian who has been baptized in the spirit, but in the last days is going to undergo battle with seducing spirits that want to steal the secret of your strength. You see, the, the Philistines were obsessed with the fact that Samson had this power. They knew it was not natural. They knew it wasn't human. They knew that it, Samson's strength was something that didn't come from man. So they, they hired Delilah. Delilah, who was on an assignment for, to find out the secret of Samson's strength, and by revealing that secret, he's surrendering his strength to Delilah. And I want you to understand the whole, the whole um, supernatural emphasis here on the secret of Samson's strength is that Delilah wants the secret of his strength because in, sur in surrendering the secret of that strength, he's surrendering his strength to Delilah. You see, Delilah is a type and a shadow of end time spirit. The, that come to weaken the body of Christ because that name doll means to weaken. There are spirits that are on assignment that are sent to you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. These are seducing spirits that are on assignment to pull you away from your calling and they do this by, by uh, constantly pressuring you to surrender the secret of your strength little by little on a daily basis over to that spirit. 
For example, let's just say that you are living a greatly victorious life and you have found this, this life being so victorious, you found that by spending every day at a certain time alone with God, that you had this supernatural ability all throughout the day to overcome every principality power, your family got back into divine order, everything went into order, and for you it was a great sacrifice because you had to get up extra early to go to work, to spend that time with God. And then the seducing spirit comes and pressures you and says you shouldn't be getting up today. Why should you get up today? You need to take time for yourself. Or why should you serve God? This is, the, this is something that you shouldn't be doing. Notice when you serve God that everyone's coming against you. And look at how that person uh, looked at you last time you went to church. Or look at that nobody appreciates what you do. You see the enemy begins to play with the carnal mind and wants the secret of your strength. So the more that we surrender the uh, give a little bit. Okay, I think I won't pray today. Or I think I'll just back off on serving God a little bit. Or I think, I, I guess I'm not going to go and uh, into that ministry because I don't want to deal with that person. Okay? What do you think the baptism in the Holy Ghost has been given to you for? For you to sit back and say, I can't deal with that person anymore? Or to go through the threshing process? to go through the threshing floor and to allow yourself that nothing's going to rob you of what God called you to do and nothing's going to steal your crown. Nothing's going to take you away from that place that God called you to be, not some flat part of your flesh because it's not worth it. Because in a few weeks or months, that person might be gone and you've given up your whole destiny for nonsense. And by staying and fulfilling your calling... You're in God's perfect will. And by being in God's will, you're open to all God's blessings. But being out of God's will is a dangerous thing to do. So that is why, beloved saints, Delilah represents the end time seducing spirit. And she vexed him so much that he finally revealed, I have been a Nazarite from my mother's womb. And the Bible says that he fell asleep on her knees as soon as he gave the secret of his strength. Falling asleep is a type and a shadow of an end time spirit that wants to lure us into apathy, wants us to fall asleep. Why? Because when we're in that apathetic state, the spirit of Delilah comes with the scissors and begins to cut the locks. You see, she cut seven, he had seven locks on his head, the Bible says. And she began to cut all seven. Seven is a supernatural sign of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is seen in the book of Revelation as the seven spirits of God, meaning the seven attributes of the Spirit of God. And when Delilah took those scissors and began to cut Samson's hair, in the reality she was cutting his this sign of his consecration. Because whenever the Nazarite cut their hair, their consecration ended. So it literally meant that she took his entire consecration from him. And when his consecration was taken, he became weak like any other man. You see, the thing that you think is making you weak is really making you strong. Because the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. This is why Paul said, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us pray. Precious Holy Spirit of God, we ask you tonight that you would be upon us on this 49th day of destiny. That Holy Spirit, your power that's poured out upon us would strengthen us. We pray that as we sleep tonight, I pray in the name of Jesus, those that heard this entire message, that there would be such a baptism of power on their life 
And I pray that as they lay their heads on their pillows tonight, I release the anointing for dreams. I release it, Father, from your word. Father God, that as they rise in the morning, they would ask, what is the secret of my strength? Holy Spirit, show me so that we might walk in that power and that anointing. Lord God, we ask you to keep us in the straight and narrow path, serving you to do the impossible. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.